I've, I've got some information. I've got some information from you from the shipping container. Some dude on Twitter says he's going to LA. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's it. That's some dude who apparently is close to LeBron is tweeting people, telling them, trophy time, get ready to all the people in LA. Tweet Kyle Kuzma, you tweet a carry champion, you know, all the Laker luminaries. Right, but who is this dude? Like, I have dudes, you know, they're tweeting me that he's coming to Miami. He's, so. he's some dude. He's, he's no inferno, let me put it that way. He's no inferno? No, he's okay. just some dude need to pump up my main man cuffs. First of all, we like on this show and in life, I like to buy value stocks, buy them low before they pop, right? You like to buy low, sell high. I told you guys about Cuffs the Legend a while back. He's been out there, you know, Kevin Durant's in his Instagram mentions. Uh, He's friendly with LeBron. He's gotten in with the NBA players. I'm just telling you guys, you want to buy an early NBA stock. This guy is funny. He's interesting. He's plugged in. You've got to kind of read between the lines as to what he's saying on some stuff. Our next guest is an NBA analyst, a basketball trainer, and a social media influencer. He goes by the name of Cuffs the Legend. And you can follow him on Twitter right there. At Cuffs, C-U-F-F-S, The Legend. In the professional podcasting world, the people are represented by two separate and equally important groups. The media herbs on TV who never got any playing time and the basketball minds who got their 12th grade basketball shoes from the local drug dealer. These are their stories. Welcome to the Some Do Show. I am your host, Cuffs the Legend, once again. There's no other podcast like this in the entire world. And I'm approved that. Some do show, let's go. I'm 21 years past the 27 club. It's like I went back into my past and then I sped it up. Robert Johnson, Winehouse, and Morrison found where heaven was. Heaven on earth, this shit is magic with no fairy dust. Home of the gully gangster, the gruesome, and the scary stuff. I told my brother, drunk fuck them, they gon' go through hell with us. They don't have a history in the streets that compare with us. Hood niggas, they wanna be us. Thugs in the same regions, only thing undefeated is time. Second is the internet, number three is this rhyme. Before security, my dog had to sneak in the nine. God must be on my side. I had to eat and provide. My winning streak is divine. I told Don Lee the streets are behind. Don't let them hype you with slow run beats, cheating the grind. Dog, I'm telling it like it is. You gotta deal with the consequence when you run in the niggas' cribs. Nigga, you better be ready to sit. Dope dealers, street hustlers, pop cases, throw dice, on pavement, cop chases, big gamblers, scullies, high faces, gang wars, hot spots, police raided, left them speechless. Left them speechless. Picker down on his luck, rapper Betty Broker, the arrogance of a crackhead, mad at a weed smoker, or a pill taker who hated the steel wine drinker, a killer who used a gun to hate on a knife swinger. Aight, I get it. It's who the litest, we in competition. Y'all did it first and me to death, I got a proposition. You and your brother stop plotting on each other, plot on millions. Educate yourself, find to different areas of interest. Spread your bets out, double down on what's working, then you double up. Hands on your paper, they send the hate no matter what you touch. Honestly, I'm speechless. Slot of grease, 20 pointers on a 
chain, I freaked it. Long chair in the hood, sitting comfortably. I must be insane, giving you bars, running companies. I'm done with the redundancy. Checking on my history, making content for Viacom, licensing music to Tiffany's. I come from dope dealers, street hustlers, pop cases, throw dice, on pavement, cop chases, big gamblers, scullies, high faces, gang wars, hot spots, police raided, left of speechless. Just like when the judge read the sentence through your life away in minutes. Left of speechless. The bounce back is the greatest feeling when they thought that you was finished. Leave them speechless. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Some Dude Show. I am your host, Cuffs the Legend. Man, we are about to have some real basketball dialogue, y'all. My next guest is the pride and joy of Fresno, California. Shout out to all the hoopers in Fresno, man. Courtney Alexander, Rafer Austin. The OG Chris Heron, all the Fresno State legends, man. But my next guest is one of the best NBA journalists in the business right now, in my opinion. He's the senior NBA insider over at Yahoo Sports. He's also the host of the Posted Up podcast on Yahoo Sports. And you can also catch him on the sidelines. In the fresh suits. You see him stunting on the sideline with TNT. One of the realest guys in the game, man. That's why I wanted to do this podcast with the OG. One of the realest in the game. One of the most transparent guys in the game. His story is real motivational. I really want y'all to listen to this podcast. His story is real Real motivational, man. Real inspiring. I want to welcome to the Some Dude Show. Fresno's finest. Fresno's finest. Chris Haynes. Welcome to the Some Dude Show, my guy. Cuff, you bringing up, man. You bringing up, man, some fond memories, bro. Talking about Courtney Alexander, man, Chris Heron, Rayford Austin, Terrence Roberson, man, yeah. Woodford Walton. I mean, the list can go on and on, man. Tark brought, he brought some real cats, McDonald's All-American type players to Fresno, man. So I was in, um, I was in junior high and a little bit of, you know, my freshman year when, uh, when those cats were playing for Fresno State. So, man, that was, that was always a good time, man, my childhood. Yeah, Courtney's from here in Durham, man. He, he, he wasn't recruited real heavy by Duke and some of them other schools back then. So, Courtney, he went out to Fresno, did his thing, went to the Washington Wizards. So, how you been, bro? Like, I know it's been a busy NBA offseason for you so far. Like, everybody is just talking about all these trades, and we still have a long way to go with even more explosive trades on the way. So how much screen time, Chris, how much screen time are you getting on your phone every day? It's, it's slowed down a little bit. Um, you know, as far as like vacation, you know, typically this is the time where you can just like really just take a vacation and kind of, I, I never completely put my phone down, but you know, I can, 
I can actually like leave my phone in the living room and go do something in the backyard now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, but with KD's situation out there, it's kind of like a damn. Like, it's kind of like what, what, what's that? What's that? Is it, babe, babe? I got my wife over here. What's what's the when you jump rope? Is it is it hopscotch? Double dutch, double dutch. <laughs> it's kind of like that, man. Like I'm jumping in and out. Like yeah, I'm trying to see can yeah. I can I can I fully go into my vacation? Nah, I can't. You know what I mean? So it's like it's it's just man, it's 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 crazy right now. But so but man, look, I'm blessed. But screen time, I would say like the early part of free agency, screen time. You're probably looking at. I probably, what you say, 16? My wife is here. She said 16. 16 hours? Oh, my God. 16? Okay. She said she looked at my phone, which which is another issue in itself. But, yeah, she said 16 hours, man. So, uh, I, I hope, I, I would like to think that has dwindled since then. But, yeah, KD is kind of, you know, still trying to keep us out there right now. So, being an NBA insider, like you said, you're getting a lot of screen time. So it's kind of like being on call like 24-7. It's kind of like being like a doctor or a firefighter, if we're being honest. Like, it's like you don't never know when, when that story is going to come across, and you got to be on the front lines to break that story. So it's got to be stressful. It's got to be hectic at times, man. Yeah, it is. Um, I love it, though. I, I love the I love the grind, man. You know, I, I, I was a hustler even before I was doing this. So, you know, I, ju- I just use – I just use my skill sets back in the day to kind of translate it to, to doing this. But I, I, I you know, I, I really do like it now. Obviously, you know, I, I talk to a, you know, there's a few people that I mentor, and you know, they want to do this job. And I ask them all the time. I was like, okay, like, what do you want to do? They're like, well, we want to be a newsbreaker. We want to do all the things you do. I'm like, okay, well, do you know all that comes with this? Like, do you got a girl? Yeah, I got a girl. Okay, does she really support what you're doing? Yeah, she support what I'm doing. I'm like, nah, you have to understand, bro. Like, <laughs> when you when you when you get and in, jump into this, you can have something planned. You can have a date plan, a vacation plan. Is she ready for you to walk away from that dinner table in the middle of dinner and go take a phone call? It, will she be willing to let you, you know, leave that beach, go back in your hotel to start writing? You know, right in the middle of your vacation. If she's not. Not ready for that. Where you're going to be flying in and out unexpectedly. That's that's another thing about a job. Like this job is like everything is not planned. Most things aren't planned. Something may come up like right there, then you got to jump on a flight out. Is she or is she going to be prepared for that? On the flip side of that, if you do your job extremely well, this is an industry where you can make a lot of money doing so. So you can't live comfortably. So is she prepared for that? Kids coming to play. Yeah. You know, are are you, are you prepared to miss? Miss some pretty significant moments of your kid's upbringing. I have. I got four daughters. I definitely have. Um, I've tried to get better over time. I just turned 40. So I try to get better over time with like manage, you know, just, you know, work life balance. But in this situation, like in this job, I would say 90% of the population can't relate. Because I think most people go into a job, well, before the pandemic, most people actually walked into a job and did a, did a nine to five. This is not a nine to five. If you're treating this job like you're going to cut off at a certain time, you're, you're not you're going to be you're going to be weeded out quick and you won't survive. So it, it, it's, it's a tough it's a tough industry, um, especially if you're trying to be in a news breaking game. 
But, you know, I, I love it. I just find out, I just try to figure out better ways of trying to maximize my time. But even with that being said, there's no healthy work-life balance if you're trying to do this job. Some people do it better than others, but there is no clear, healthy way of doing this. Man, that's a dope perspective coming from you because I'm starting to make my actual ascension in this shit too, you know, and, and I have a support system that's beautiful, man. Like, I kind of relate to your situation where I have a queen in my life. We've been together for a long time. She understands we'll be at the pool or we'll be in Mexico somewhere, and i just be on my phone sometimes because, like, I got to be in the mix of stuff. I got to be tuned in. And my kids, luckily for me, Chris, like, my kids are grown, 20, 19, and 16. So my kids are pretty yeah. much grown, and they all have their own vehicles. So I'm, I'm kind of able to have that freelance ability that you speak of. So what's some of your favorite perks of actually being an NBA insider? What's some of the favorite perks of the job? Well, I would say, you know, the favorite perks is that it being able to travel has expanded my horizon. Like, I, I'm I'm born and raised Fresno, California. I was there up until 27. And um, I never really left Fresno. I really, you know, I visited the Bay, visited L.A. a few times. I got family over there, but... Fresno was all I knew. And if I'm talking specifically, the west side of Fresno was all I knew. You know, that's where, you know, most of our people are, you know, Asians, Mexicans, you know, most of the gangs. And and um, so that's pretty much all I knew. And I, I remember one day, Cuff, like, when I when I was on the beat, uh, I was coming to Portland Trailblazers. That's when I got my first break. So coming to Portland Trailblazers, it's like the 2011 season, 2011-12 season. And I went to Atlanta for the first time. And so, again, on the beat, this is my first time visiting Atlanta everywhere. Never been anywhere. So I'm in Atlanta, bro, and my, my hotel is downtown. Ooh, and I'm ooh, used to – I'm used to – Were you at the W downtown Atlanta? That's my spot. No, I was at the Marquee. Okay. I was at the Marquee. And so I'm used to, like – I'm, I'm trying to answer your question, but, you know, I, I want to I'm trying to keep it brief for you for time as well. But, you know, growing up where I came from man, the, the, the black men that I looked to, looked up to, you know, were the pimps, the hustlers. You know, I had my family was in gangs, you know, back back then, you know, was the, the you know, people looked this up, the Modoc Crips. You know, that's where most of my family was affiliated with. And I had family, you know, who was from Modoc and that kept me away. And I was I was fortunate for that. But anyways, I'm, I'm saying all that to say that those are the people. These are the black men that I seen. You know, what I'm saying that's 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 what I was used to. Yeah. So fast forward to 27, 20, 28 now when I'm covering the Blazers. I'm in Atlanta. I'm staying downtown. And I'm just like, man, I'm just going to walk downtown, bro. Like, I'm just check out to see what's out here. And I'm seeing black men downtown going to court with suits on suits and briefcase and briefcases. And I'm looking like it's tripping me out, bro. Yeah. And like they're, 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 they're not on trial either. Like they're judges and lawyers, attorneys. And it's bro. It's tripping me out. I, I've never seen anything like this. I've never experienced anything like this. This is, this was not the black experience that I was raised under. And so the 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 perk we stop asking you asking you a question about the perk 
the perk for me was like just expounding my mind. Yeah, the culture. Like, more culture. You're getting more culture. More culture. More culture. Then going to D.C., Chocolate City, going yeah. over there, seeing that, going to New Orleans. You know, it was like, it was just different, bro. And it expanded my mind. Like, bro, growing up, I know Bill Cosby is like, that's a, that's, you know, people don't want to bring up Bill Cosby now, but growing up, I hated the Cosby show because I've never seen, you know, people that don't know the Cosby show back then, like Bill Cosby's parents went to college. Yep. Then Bill Cosby, his wife, I believe, went to the same college and their kids went to that college. And I've never seen or experienced even in my family anybody going to college. And let alone having generations of people in the same family going to college. And so for me, I didn't like the Bill Cosby show growing up because I didn't think that that element existed in the black community. Yeah, it didn't look, it, it didn't look tangible or feasible because like we, nah. we, we, don't, we don't see those black professionals. It's the same in my family. Like a lot of people in my family didn't do certain things. So I can really understand that 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 angle. I didn't see it. So that's that's one thing that this job has done for me that I'm, I'm appreciative of. And then fast forward, I got, you know, I got I got four daughters. So I got 19 year old, 18 year old and I got a 13, or 11 year old. But my two oldest ones going to Clark Atlanta. And I would I wish like if my head was on straight in high school or whatever, I, I wish I would have attended a black college. Like, only black college I knew back then was, like, Grambling. And I think that was just because of the movie Drumline. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know about these black college. Like, I, t- I would tell Chris Paul, like, when Chris Paul was in the bubble, and he would wear all these different black, um, he would wear all these different HBU sweaters. And I'd be like, bro, what school is this? What school are you making up? And just, you know, and, and putting on a sweater. <laughs> like, I've never heard that. thought he was making up, <laughs> he was making up schools. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard these schools, bro. And so, like, I, you know, and, and then my girls are going, they represent the HBCU. I love it, man. And so it, it helped. Like, that. that's 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 one of the biggest perks for me, and being able to travel and see a different way of life. So your path to becoming a senior NBA insider, it had many twists and turns. Like, you mentioned you, you worked for the Portland Trailblazers. You covered those guys for a while. You covered Golden State. You covered the Cleveland Cavs. Now you're covering like the entire league. So how did you get your actual start in journalism, like your career? How did you get your first big break in the media game? So I went to, I played college ball, you know, Fresno Pacific University. Um, you, was a bu- after, you, was a, you was a bucket. Don't don't come on here being humble. You was a bro, bucket. Bro, I, I went, look, man, I, I, has, I had a season where I was a bucket, but for the most part, no, I was a role player. You know, I said, you know, I, I got a scholarship, though. Okay. So I got, you know, school was paid for, but I played at Fresno Pacific University. Then I ended up transferring to Fresno State. I didn't play at Fresno State, but I finished there and, um, and graduated there. But look, so my degree is in kinesiology. I was planning on being a PE teacher and a basketball coach. And so that was the ultimate goal. And the last semester, bro, I had to take an African-American writing course. It's like one of those electives you got to take, you know, fulfill your graduation requirements. And so I took the, I've, I've never been a writer. Like, bro, I couldn't tell you back then. And remember, I took, just, just give context. So I got married at 20. And so I would play college basketball like take a year or two off, go back and try to play again. And you know what I mean? And next thing you know, now I'm like 26, you know what I mean? So I, <laughs> you know, cause, cause my wife, you know, I had kids. So it was like, damn, I want to play. I want to finish playing ball. 
but I got these responsibilities over here. I got to get a job. So I was always like kind of back and forth into like trying to work to provide. But then I don't want to give up my hoops dream. So anyways, I'm 26 at this time at, at Fresno State last semester. I couldn't write. I couldn't write. I couldn't I couldn't tell you the difference between they are and there. Yeah. You are, your. I, I couldn't. It's safe to say you was you were butchering a lot of the English language. Oh, bro. It, it was bad, bro. It was bad. And, and it's funny, like, you know, when you talk, it's, it, you know, people don't know you're making a mistake when you talk, but when you're writing, and people see, oh, he, he really don't know what the difference is. You know what I mean? That, so that's when that's when you really expose. And so I was I had to write this story on I forgot what it was, the topic, African-American history class, but I, I liked writing. Like, I, I definitely like African-American history. I've always loved that. I've always loved history. And so my teacher was, like, giving me good feedback. He said, hey, man, you rough around the edges with your technical skills in writing, you know, but keep this up. Keep this up. And so he's giving me good feedback, so I'm feeling confident. And so I already realized, because I was also at that time a freshman basketball coach, and I realized coaching definitely wasn't for me because, you know, when you're a freshman basketball coach, a JV basketball coach, particularly <laughs> yeah, in California. I've been there. It's, it's stressful. Okay. It's stressful. Bro. It's, it's, it's stressful. <laughs> and I don't know how everybody else does it, like outside of California, but, you know, you get a stipend. Yeah. And so the stipend here for, for us, we get that stipend at the end of the year. And I remember when I got this stipend at the end of the basketball season, I started doing the math. I'm like, damn, all these hours I put in the practice, yeah, game yeah, preparation, yeah. It don't, it don't the camps, the camps and everything, bro. I'm being serious. I added up. It was like 65 cents an hour is what it equated to. <laughs> yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds about right. That's, that's why I kind of, man, I love the game, but I got out of coaching high school. I, oh, I, I, I bro. Stepped, I stepped away from coaching high school ball because it just took too many hours away from my personal life, man. I couldn't do it. Bro. Yeah, and more power to the people that do that have a passion for it. But I realized, I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm cut out for this. And so anyway, so I was already looking for other avenues. But anyway, so writing, I'm, I'm, I'm developing a passion for it. But then I was like, you know what? I still want to stay around hoops. I'm like, man, I wonder if I can like write about the NBA. And so I started re- reaching out to different publications and sending them like work. So I would go home. I'm in Fresno. We ain't got no NBA team. So I would like get league pass and I would watch a game and write a story about it. And I would send it to different publications. One of those publications was Slam Magazine, Slam Online. And they were like, Chris, you know, this is pretty good. He said, uh, if you're interested in working with us, you know, we can't pay you. But if you're in an NBA market, we can at least get you credential and get you published, you know, so you can build, build a work history. And so I was like, you know what, man? So at this time, again, I'm, I just graduated, so I'm 27 at this time. My wife just graduated, too, so she's 25. And I got two daughters at the time. And, like, most of my homies, like, going to jail or get, getting killed. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I think it's time for that change. Like, I really haven't been out of Fresno. I'm like, babe, let's try something different. Like, and I was thinking, like, I was thinking, bro, I was going to come back to Fresno. Because that's all I knew. Yeah. But I was like, let's let's go. So I picked Portland. I picked Portland as a city to like go to because I felt like it wasn't too far away, but it, it, it was close enough that if I failed over there, I could easy easily transition back home. So we picked Portland, and so for a year, 
I work for free covering the Blazers, going to Blazer games at night, just home games. And then during the daytime, I worked as a security guard at a high school complex. I mean, at a high school and at an apartment complex. I could not. So here I am, Cuff. I'm, I graduated, got this bachelor's degree in kinesiology. I could not find a job, bro. Like, I could not find a job. And that, sh- that shit was so disheartening because you know what they tell you about, man, you get a, you get your bachelor's degree over a period of time. You're going to make this much more money than a person with a high school diploma. You get your master's and you're going to make that much more. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and here I am. I can't find shit, bro. I can't find nothing. It's real. And all only thing I can find, because I had to get a job. We just moved to Portland. So I had to find something. Only thing I can find was be a security guard at a high school and at an apartment complex. So I did that during the day. And then I covered the Blazers at night. Um, so I did that for a whole year. And I made my inroads. And, you know, I was I was the only brother, you know, brother of color over there in that Portland market. I made my inroads, did my thing. And after a year, Comcast Sportsnet, which is now like NBC Sports Northwest, they they hired me. They hired me to be the beat beat writer after that year, and um, that's when I started traveling. And you know, that's that first year of covering the NBA. That's 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 really the first year I really considered myself covering the NBA because I was actually getting paid for it, the 2011-12 season. So that's that's how it all started. Man, this is a real motivational story right here, Chris, on the Some Dude Show, Cuffs the Legend, NBA Insider, Chris Haynes. Man, that's inspirational. Even for me and anybody listening, bro, like you really stuck to the grind and you really trusted your you really trusted your instinct and went with your gut, bro. Like that's commendable as hell, man. So like NBA stars, like they often are rivals, man. We see rivalries like Wilt and Bill Russell. You know, rest in peace to Bill Russell, man, the legend. We got Magic and Bird. We got Jordan and Isaiah and the Pistons back in the day. Kobe and LeBron. LeBron and KD. LeBron's Cavs, Steph's Warriors. Like, it's it's real competitive rivalries in basketball. But I feel like sometimes the NBA insiders, bro, like, they break the stories first or get the scoop first. I'm not saying any names, but it feels like a rivalry sometimes. Is that a real thing between NBA insiders, like the rivalry? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't consider myself – in there, like I'm being transparent. Like I give props to credits due. You know, I think you know you got woes and you got shams, and so um, you know then you know then as far as like I think as far as the the regularity of, of breaking news, you know, woes shams myself right there. Then you know yeah, Mark Stein yeah, that, that's, that's and the tri- that's the trifecta really. Like that's that's the guys. Yeah. The reason I asked that question, Chris, because. I see that more from the fans. Like the fans are always trying to pit you guys against each other or saying, oh, this guy broke the, the story first. So I don't really care yeah. about none of that shit. Like as long as we get yeah. the information, I feel like. Yeah, most like- most people don't. Yeah. Yeah, especially on Twitter. I mean, Twitter, you got a bunch of trolls and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like if, if, I, if I break something, somebody put in the, put in the, uh, the comments below my tweet. Uh, Sam's you got beat. Woes you got beat. <laughs> yes. Same thing. Yeah, same thing with with them. You know what I mean? So it, it it's part of it. But yeah, I mean, there's a competitive rivalry there. Um, I don't think we talk about it as much because you know, as journalism, you're taught not to be part of the story. You know what I'm saying? It's just like Twitter is just magnified that, and, and you know, and just took it to another level. And then you got trolls who actually, uh, you know, get off and trying to pit one against the other and try to start stuff and 
And then, you know, there, there are a few people who really do out there. They really do like count the number of scoops you get when you got beat and all that stuff. And oh, so, that's crazy. yeah, I mean, it's cool, but it's, it's part of business, but I don't get too caught up in that, man. I, I try to like, I, as an insider, you kind of know, um, you kind of know the areas or the, uh, or the, you know, the areas of which your competitors have a pretty good mark on. And then sometimes you try to just infiltrate that by going back door and yeah. back door can be back door can mean, you know, a, a, a multitude of things. And so that's, that's just pretty much how the game is. But, uh, I, I, I love, you know, I love the, I love the battle. I love the fight. And, but I still, I love telling stories, man. Like I don't, I don't um, just consider myself just a newsbreaker. You know, I love telling stories. I like writing in depth pieces. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm journalism one-on-one to the heart, you yeah, know, and I, yeah. I still, I still hold true to that. So how do you feel about like you being a traditional media guy per se? How do you and other traditional media feel about this new media wave? Like, you know, Draymond has made that a thing, the new media, a lot of NBA players, former NBA players are starting to jump into that media space. Even guys like me, like I'm jumping into the media space, getting a lot of traction. So like some players, I will say, like they are naturally good at it, Chris, but like mm-hmm. I, I'm going to keep it real, bro, on the Some Dude Show. A lot of these players, they stinking up the gym on the microphone, bro. Like, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. So my whole thing is, how do you feel about it? Because it, it ain't for everybody. I don't feel like it's for everybody to jump into the media game or the podcast game. So how do you feel about the new media? Uh, but I think this, you know, new media is a relatively new term, but I think this element has been around forever. We've always had players that once they retire, they step into the, they step into the media landscape. And I think now it's a little bit different because you got players that are still playing, stepping in. A la, you know, Draymond Green, <laughs> and Draymond, CJ McCollum. Draymond, yeah. Draymond liable to par right at halftime. So it's a different, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different, it's a different animal now y'all working against. <laughs> yeah. So this is my thing. This is my thing. I, I don't have a problem. It's always been that like, it's always happened. It's just a new term for it. But the, what, I think what from what I've witnessed and what I've observed over the years, the players that do make it in this industry and 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 are successful doing it are the ones that actually won't hold back when it's time to criticize. Ooh. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Players will come on and just they're, they're just and they come on and just vanilla. They try to sugarcoat things and. Especially when the fans know that, look, bro, there is no way you can put sugar, you know, on this situation. Yeah. Like, you you can't do it, and they see right through it. And and if and if that's all you're going to do, you really add nothing to value. You know what I mean? So a player, like the best attributes a player can have in this industry is like breaking down the game. Yeah. And I think Draymond does that extremely well, breaking down the game, and then when it calls for criticism, you unleash. Now, you don't unleash it disrespectfully. Now, I had a conversation with Draymond about that. And he said, look, when I step into this full time, he said, even today, like if I go on air, like I have to be critical. But when I be when I'm critical, I'm going to explain why I'm critical. I'm not going to bash him and say you suck. I'm not going to call you out your name. I'm going to, you know, point out facts and stats to to serve my case on why it is that I have this take. And and it seems that seems so easy, Cuff, but most former players don't do it. They don't go that route. And you, you can hate Kendrick Perkins all you want. One thing we know about him is that 
you know, he's going to take it there if he feels the need to. <laughs> yeah. Now I think now I think a lot of people may say he's taking it too far, and you know, maybe, maybe he does sometimes, but he's going to take it there, and that's why he stands out. That's why Draymond stands out. And, um, you know, we'll see if, you know, other guys, CJ McCollum does that as well, does a really great job at, yes. at it. Yeah, I like um, CJ a lot. Yeah, really good job at it. And so, um, and J.J. Reck has done a good job, but just like having the players back and explaining the basketball nuances and, and giving people that 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 insight. You know, I'm, I've been covering the league for over 10 years, but I can't, you know, I, co- I, I play college basketball. I've never played in the NBA. So there's definitely is even even though I'm an insider, there's definitely um, insight that I can't provide that only somebody who's played and been in the locker room and been in the trenches with those guys can provide. So if you can really do that, and then the one of the most critical parts is be critical when it's time. I think you shine, but I think most players are scared to go that route. Yeah, they are. Some guys are scared. They're scared for that. They're scared of that spice. So the sports media game has always been like a predominantly white workplace, to be honest. Like it's always been a, a white man's sport, old white guys. They've been holding on to the mantle for a long time for the most part. How challenging has it been trying to work your way to the top, Chris? Like being an African-American, have you like dealt with a lot of haters, jealousy? I know you deal with a lot of different stuff, just being like a young, energetic black guy and what we call a white man's game. Like that's just being honest about it. Like, yeah. So the reason I wanted to cover the NBA, first of all, I love the NBA and I, I wanted to do it my way. So what, what I was looking at, I see, I'm like, damn, the NBA is 90% black players. And most of them came up, well, I wouldn't say most, a lot of them came up in a similar fashion that I did as far as the way they were raised, the, 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 the neighborhood they, they came in, uh, were raised under. And I was like, God, like we don't have enough of us telling our own stories. Yeah. It's like, even if, so let me give you an example. It's like, say a player and I'm not, look, there are great, white reporters out there. Yeah, they are. Point blank. They, they are. They are. They're my colleagues, you know, love, love them to death. But I still feel like, okay, if a player wants to give you his story and give you his background, and it may be some of the stuff that, like, you know, growing up in a drug-infested neighborhood, almost getting shot, or mom not there, growing up on welfare, doing what, whatever, whatever. I can relate to that yeah. personally. It's that relatability. Like it's the have. relatability. Yeah, exactly. And, and now, and now, while if you're telling somebody else who wasn't like black or white, period, take, take race out of it. If you're telling somebody else your story and they never experienced any, any of that and they don't know firsthand, they might can write a cool story because you're giving them gems anyway. Like you're giving them all the details of your life. But for somebody like myself, who's been through the similar things like that, I think I can better relay and better translate that to print to where people will really actually feel it just because I've been through a similar situation. 
And so that's that's what I always wanted to do when I stepped into the league. I didn't see we got more and more people of color, more women now today still need to get more women involved, especially yes, women of color. Yes, shout for out, sure. Shout out to the ladies in media, the black ladies in, in media. I know a uh, bunch of them. I'm trying to help a lot of them, too, man. So who are some of your mentors that inspired you? Because it's a lot of gatekeepers, Chris, to keep it real with you, man. It's a lot of gatekeepers in this media industry. So who are some of your mentors that help guide you? Um, you know, Mark Spears for first, uh, Mark Spears, he was one of the ones that really took me under my wing early on. Um, you know, for sure, Stephen A. Smith, um, trying to make sure I don't leave out anybody, but I'm going to tell you right now. So I'm going to tell you who like got me my first job. And this is my mentor. This is my brother. And this is a old white guy who's like close to 70 years old and I'm talking about his name is Dwight James he's a longtime sports columnist in the Portland area when I was working for free he was an employee he was a, the columnist for that that company that I ended up um, getting picked up by but he was the one looking at me like he knew my story he would talk to me and he was like wow you came out here from Portland Dang, you got two kids? I think I got three kids at the time. He, like, saw, dang, he, he like, saw the grind. He saw the passion. He saw the grind. And he was like, you know, sometimes I would go to, like, sometimes I would arrive to the arena with my security outfit on, and I would change there. At the at um, at the time, it was the Rose Garden. And he would see that. And he was like, damn, like, you really trying? And then, bro, like, I just... One thing about me, and so you know, like I told you at that time, I wasn't a good writer at that time. I, I was not. The best aspect that I had or attribute that I had that going hustle, for me, that hustle. the hustle and the, the, the ability to, to communicate and cuss. Like, let me tell you right now, I, maybe social media played a part in that, but there are people that, and still in my profession, that don't know how to hold a conversation. You're right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you are right. It's, it's, it, it seems so simple, but it's not. I'm like, really? So I would like, so my first year in Portland, I would just like look when I wasn't getting paid. I would just look out how the media approached players. So as soon as the locker room opened, I would, I would see media just go right up to a player. And just put a mic in their face and start asking a question. Don't even ask them how. And they, I would, don't even ask them how. Don't ask. Doing. Don't ask none of that. None of that. And I would look at the player's reaction. And I think, like even today, like when you see or hear, like there's this this thing for uh, for media that players have, and a lot of that has to do with just you know some of these antics right here. And so I would look at that and I would be like, man, I'm not doing that because I don't want you know I don't want every time I come out locker room the player to like take off and go to the training room or leave the locker room all together. And so I would go in, I would just shoot the shit with them, man. I'm like, man, how, how, how's the wife? How's the such a, you know, how's the kids? You know what I mean? What? And you just, I just got to know them and they respected that. And then when it did come to like me having to ask a question, they gave me more than enough time. It was more, per so, it was more personable with guys like it Dame. was more personal. Yeah, you, yep. built, you built that rapport with guys like Dame. I seen that y'all got like that chemistry when y'all do interviews, like y'all really homeboys, like y'all known each other. That's, that's my bro right there, man. He He's the closest um, to me in this league, man. That's, that's my bro because as his career took off, like that's when my career took off. And then I was able to go to Cleveland and cover LeBron and LeBron took me to another level, you know, and covering him and, gave me great access and you know it's it just like it, it's still like 
relationships, knowing how to communicate, talk like it's so key. So I was able to have great stories early on in my career because I had players giving me stuff that they weren't giving anybody else. Now, the technical skills of my writing still was wasn't up to par, but I had great stories. It just took time and repetition because I was still a newbie and I just got this job basically like a year from graduating college. And so I had to learn on the fly. And uh, so that's that's kind of how that came about. Chris Haynes backstory, the grind, the hustle, the grit, the perseverance, man, to get where you are now, a senior NBA insider. But now let's get to the spice, Chris. We got to get <laughs> we got to get spicy a little bit. This is what the people want. We got Westbrook. We got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. The dominoes are starting to fall. They're going to fall real soon. But the question I want to ask you is why do you think those three guys, Westbrook, Durant, and Kyrie, why do you think those three guys are always unhappy in every situation they've been in? It seems like they're unhappy no matter what situation they're in. And will they ever mm. be happy? Mm. Well, let's let's talk. Let's let's break them down one by one real quick. So I covered KD when I went to ESPN. Uh, they assigned me to the Warriors, and that was the first year KD was there. So I got to know KD well. He invited me to his house for a few dinners and things of that nature. Um, so one thing about KD that I can safely say is that, you know, he's always been searching for something, like searching for some type of fulfillment. And I think he would go on record and say that himself. Um, what is he searching for? I, I don't know. You know, I don't know the details of that, but he was always searching for something, searching for something. And this is one thing that he did say publicly after he won the championship. He still said he didn't feel fully whole. You know, he thought once he established you know, himself as an NBA champion, dominated the finals, got finals MVP twice, and there was still something that he was missing. And so I, I don't, you know, to answer your question, why is he n never happy? I you know, I don't know if he's never not happy, but there, I think there is an element to him that has been constantly looking for some sense of fulfillment that I don't know that he's going to get in basketball because he's accomplished everything. You know, he's like, I think, um, you know, going to the Brooklyn Nets, you know, he, he, he chose a path that, you know, if they were to win the championship over there, I don't think many people can really say anything negative about no, how he went. No, yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that might've been an aspect of why he chose to go that route. Um, and I think, um, you know, I just think, you know, it, it's tough. Like KD's he, he's a, he's one of the, um, like a good brother, man. Like I ain't got nothing but love for him, but he, you know, he is definitely somebody that, um, it's tough to gauge. You got to really get to know him. And over the years, as he's gotten older, he shared more about himself. You know, he shared more with me about just what makes him tick. Um, but, you know, there, there, there's something. And, you know, there, I mean, look, if, with the Brooklyn situation, there's a ton of layers over there. I, I don't know that, you know, that situation has anything to do with why he's not happy. Um, but so that's KD. Let's talk about who was the other one? Kyrie? Yeah, Kyrie. So Kyrie is somebody that he was the toughest. I've, I've always said this. When I was covering Kyrie in Cleveland, he was the toughest player I ever had to cover because you <laughs> Why? couldn't Why? you couldn't figure him out. You couldn't figure him out. Like one day 
he'll give you like 30 minutes, just good time, like get 30 minutes of good information, uh, give you all the quotes you need, just very accommodating and just cool. The next day, you know, you'll walk by him. He'll, he'll walk by you, put his head down. Let's keep going. Like what? Like, like what? It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like different personalities, like different personalities. Yeah. It's, it was like, it was, and this was when, this was before like Kyrie was Kyrie. You know, this was, you know, they didn't win a championship. Yet. So he was just like tough to deal with, you know? And so as we got, as he got older, our relationship got, you know, much better, you know, person gets older, they get more mature. But, you know, I would like to say Kyrie has matured. He has. You know, there's some things that he's done differently that I noticed when I was covering in Cleveland that I seen that he he took a different route. But one thing about Kyrie is that, you know, one thing, what people will keep continue to point to is just all the distractions that he's continued um, to, you know, continue to – to put forth on whatever team it is, whether it's Cleveland, Boston, and Brooklyn. And so, like, he has to own that. He he has to own that. But gen- genuinely, like, he's really a good dude, man. Like, he, he's really a good guy. Like, will you fully understand him? Will people fully or me, even me, would I fully understand him? No, I don't think so. Because I think he was just two different people raised a different way, and I, I'm not I, – I won't get him. But what I do know, like he really does have a good heart, and I spoke to him on those, you know, on those type of levels before, just about, you know, what he wants to see in society. Like he's a deep guy. We see that. Is he too deep? I don't know. <laughs> that's what that's what everybody else to judge. But he he's a good guy. I, I just hope he finds a level of consistency. But at the end of the day, like Cuff, like if he's cool and with himself, and you know feels good about himself where he's at, I think that's that's all that matters. But I don't know that Kyrie would be somebody that everybody just embraces as like just a, a rational guy. I just think he does things that just doesn't uh, fly with, with, with what most people think is rational. And Westbrook, um, the, the only time cuff uh, take take the Lakers situation out. Where was he unhappy at before? Was he happy in Houston? You think? Um. I didn't, I'm trying to think. Like I don't, at the top of my head, I don't really, cons- I don't really remember him being dis- discontent or hearing anything. Um, I think Russ plays his uh, best basketball when he really genuinely feels that love, and I don't think the Laker Nation really embraced him from day one. Even though he's an LA kid, we all know the backstory. But, now that's a different story. Yeah, now that's a different story. So do, yes. you, do you feel like? Do you really think Russ wants out of L.A. just for the sake of his own mental health at this point, I feel like? Do you think he wants out and you think it's like a mutual agreement, you know, between the Lakers and him where it's like it didn't work out? You know, it, it might be best for both of us to part ways. I, I couldn't I couldn't even answer that because I haven't talked to Russ on that level yet. Yeah. Um. So I, I really couldn't answer if he if he wants out of L.A. But I was at most Laker games this past season. Um, you know, he gave me a few, and that's one thing, Russ, too. Like, he gave me a few one on one interviews this season. Russ really doesn't do those one on one interviews. Yeah, he, do, I don't he, remember. Does, he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah. And so I remember we were in Sacramento, and they were playing the Kings, the Lakers were. And Russ had a, like, I don't think he had a good game, but 
it was at the time where it was just like reaching a, a boiling point as far as the fans, Laker fans turn on. And so I asked him, I asked him when he was doing his post-game interview, I asked him, I said, hey, Russ, can you recall being treated like this by your home fans ever in your career? And then he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this happened to me before. I've been in this league like 10 plus years. Yeah, it's happened to me before. No, no, no. No, hold on, hold on. He he didn't hear me right. So he finishes his his post-game scrum. He's he's starting to walk out, and he calls me over. He's like, Chris, come over here. Chris, he was like, you think I've never been booed before? I said, no. I said, the question was, have you ever been booed or treated like this by your home fans? He said, oh, my bad. I I didn't hear you right. He said, nah, I ain't never been treated like this. Like, nah, this is different. And I said, yeah, that was my line of questioning, like I was trying to get get across. Then Then he told me, like, bro, like, at the end of the day, like, I do this for my family and, you know, I'm trying to change lives. I'm trying to be an inspiration. You know, he get, you know, he gave me that spiel. Um, but this was definitely, it definitely took a toll on him, man. Like one thing about LeBron, I'm going to say this because I think a lot of this had to do with just playing with LeBron. If you're a ball dominant player, like it's tough playing with LeBron, period. It is, you know, Dwayne Wade, it took time, you know, it took time for um, Dwayne Wade to adjust and Wade was like, you know, I believe that second year in Miami, Wade was like, all right, do your thing. I'll I'll adapt. Like, I'll be in the background. And when you're a ball down a um, person like Westbrook, where he's never really – like, he did a little bit in Houston where he played off the ball a little bit. But you got to play off the ball a, a little bit more, uh, you know, with a LeBron James team. And even though LeBron is going in the post a lot more, playing bigger, it's still like – you have to maximize all of LeBron's skill set. Yeah. Like you have to. You have to. You gotta be and that, if you're a point guard playing off ball with LeBron, you gotta be able to catch and shoot. You got and, and, and cup like and so this is the thing. And I want fans to understand this. I want fans to understand this. You got ballers, because I still play today. So you got ballers, right, that understand this dynamic. And what I'm about to say it may sound simple, but it's not. Catching and shooting is very hard particularly if you're a person who is ball dominant where you're able to get your shot off whenever you want with rhythm dribbles. Yeah. Rhythm dribbles. Most NBA stars are used to rhythm dribbles to get their shot off. Now, people want to know, what's a rhythm dribble? Rhythm dribble is like you dribbling around, you're doing your move. Bop, 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 yep, shot. Bop, bop, shot. Bop, bop, shot. The rhythm dribble. And the only people that really have to catch and shoot are role players. And Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson. Like, that's probably the only star that's like just great at catch and shoot. Steph Curry. You know what I'm saying? But catching and shooting, if you're not used to it, if you're used to like getting the rhythm dribble in first, it's tough. And so when you're playing with LeBron James, you have to be able to knock down that outside shot with regularity without putting the ball on the floor. Like, a lot of times you'll see Russ get the open shot, pass up on open shot because he wants to like drive or do something else. And then you get the defense, you know, back on you. You know what I'm saying? So Kyrie Irving was able to do that playing with LeBron. So it's, it's harder than what it sounds like. It hard. It's harder than what people say. Well, just knock down that shot, just catch and shoot. You know, when they haven't done that 
their whole lives. Yeah, their, you whole, know, part their of whole lives. And that's why their whole lives. That's why Damian Lillard and CJ McCullum were such a great duo because they both could yep. play off the ball. They both could catch and shoot. So, exactly. So what version of Anthony Davis can Laker Nation, can we expect to see this upcoming season? Because I think Anthony Davis is ready to silence like a lot of the critics, Chris. Like what version of AD are we going to see this year? Yeah, look, so I, I wrote the story um, a couple days ago on the meeting that LeBron had with Rob Palenka, Darvin Ham, and his agent Rich Paul was there. And so I got some inside knowledge on how that meeting went and what was discussed. And and in that meeting, sources told me that Darvin Ham told LeBron that we're going to run our offense through AD and we're going to commit to it. And because the difference with Darvin saying that now is that, you know, we've heard that before, like the Lakers will try to go through AD. But what he emphasized, Darvin Ham emphasizing that meeting is that we're going to commit to it. And so that means like, even if AD, if it's not working out initially, we're not seeing the, the, the fruits of the labor initially, we're going to stick with it because he's going to get there. And I, I, I'm hearing that AD is having a great offseason, you know, conditioning-wise, skill set-wise. I'm, I'm hearing he's doing everything he needs to do to try to, you know, prepare his body to take on a, 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 a heavier load. This is going to be LeBron James' 20th season. So as great as LeBron is, like, you can't keep going into a season just saying, like, we're just going to milk LeBron for everything. you got to allow him to be able to to coast throughout the 82-game season. And so I think, you know, I don't know what to expect, Cuff, but look, man, he's AD is going to have every opportunity to show that he can lead this team, he can hold it down, um, that he can handle double teams and make the right pass at the doubles. And, you know, we'll see from there. And I think what the what the Lakers are trying to figure out, this is what I do know. What the Lakers are trying to figure out is like, okay, is everybody going to be committed to this new style of basketball? What I do know is they're going to have very there, – there, there will not be any resistance. Yeah, not with Darvin. <laughs> not with Darvin. No, that's what I've learned. Cause like there will be no resistance. If there is resistance – there will be consequences. Darvin is not playing. I'm being for real. I've heard this in the meeting. He stressed that to Le- with LeBron. Like, if everybody is not on the same page, and it will show, there will be consequences. And so the Lakers right now, like, you know, the Kyrie trade, Russ, like, are they trying to do something? Yeah, they, they would still be open to something if, you know, if um, if Brooklyn really, you know, got it to that point. But they're prepared to go into training camp with this roster. And they're also prepared to go in there and holding everybody accountable, you know, whether that's LeBron, AD, Russell Westbrook to Austin Reeves. And so uh, that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of looking forward to. I'm kind of looking forward to, like, seeing Darvin Ham kind of implement his system and just implement um, his environment. And I, I want you know just to see what what level of respect they got they got respect it's, it's you know it's one thing to have respect for a coach before the season starts but can you sustain that level of respect during the, throughout the course of the season i covered the cavaliers when they brought on david black and uh everybody was saying all the great things about black coaches i mean players and all like you know he's a winning coach overseas won these many championships and 
it didn't take long throughout the season to know that players didn't have that respect for him or lost it. And so uh, hey, they, I don't hey, think that's going to happen with Dar, but David, we'll see. David Blatt ran some good sets, though. He just didn't. He just didn't have like the personality. I think. I remember. Check this out, bro. <laughs> I've never seen it happen before, and I still haven't seen it happen again. So. I want to say was it the playoffs? It might not it might have been the playoffs. Cleveland Cavaliers, Chicago Bulls. I knew I know it was the Bulls. And I don't think it was the playoffs. I don't remember being in Chicago for a playoff series in Cleveland. But it was a crucial game. Like four three seconds left in the game, something along those lines. People gotta go research it. And David Black, the Cavaliers were down two or something like that. And David Black called for LeBron James to inbound the ball. Oh, I remember that game. Yep, he called for inbound the ball. Oh, hold on. First of all, look, I'm 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 going I'm going a couple steps ahead. LeBron, forget forget what I said. Everybody listening, forget what I said about inbound the ball. What Black called. What happened was LeBron James. It was like less than a second. It might have been a second, but LeBron James hit the game winner. He caught it. Caught it. You know, out of bounds play. Baseline, it might have been a three. Hit it, game winner, game over. We didn't know anything about what play was drawn. So David Black speaks first. You know, A was a great, you know, it was a great play. LeBron made a great move. We're happy we got LeBron on the team, blah, blah, blah. Right? Here comes LeBron after that. Never again, never seen anything like this before. Haven't seen it since. So LeBron goes off and we're asking about that play. And he was like, yeah, about that play, uh, Black asked me to take the ball out, but I scratched it. I was like, <laughs> Hell no. I, mean, like I, ain't, I ain't taking this fucking ball out. We're not doing that. I was, hey, I'm, I was, and we were like, whoa, like, because Black didn't reveal that. Nobody, like, Brian let it be known that, nah, this motherfucker, like, had the audacity. <laughs> to have me take the ball out with like less than a second, meaning that I'm not going to take the shot. There's not going to be enough time for me to get in, in bounds, get the pass, and take a shot. He said he let everybody know I scratched it and got the game winner. I remember I've that. never I rem- seen I remember, bro, that. I remember that three ball in the corner. I remember that. It was, it was three ball in the corner. I, bro, i never seen a player do that, man. Never. Never. And it's like, it's funny because it's like, I would think, you know, Black was still trying to like prove himself in the league, prove that he belonged. Yeah, he was. And I think, and I think most coaches would probably reveal that. You know, it's just showing some humility, like reveal it on their own that hey, I called this play, and LeBron said, "Nah, I'm, I'm, t- I'm taking this." You know, Black didn't do that. He hid it. <laughs> so LeBron came Yo, out. That's crazy, Chris. <laughs> So I got. So I have a. Oh, I have man. a. I have a game. I'm gonna play. We're gonna finish up with this game, Chris. This is what I call clutch time with a K. Clutch time. I'm gonna put 60 seconds on the clock, Chris. I'm gonna ask you some random spicy questions. Random questions. And you just gotta answer these questions as fast as you can before the clock gets to zero. Pretty simple. You All re- right. Are you ready? All right, let's go. All right. Here we go. The game begins in three, two. If you could go back in time and cover any NBA finals from the past, which NBA finals would you want to be press row for, Chris? 
Ooh, um, let me go. Bulls, Ooh. Lakers, Bulls, Nin- Lakers, ninety-one. Yeah, ninety-one. Their first, their first championship. Kareem Skyhook or Michael Jordan's fadeaway. MJ's fadeaway. Ooh, how many more championships will Kevin Durant win in his career? Ooh, I I think he could get two. Ooh, Chris Haynes' favorite restaurant on the road. The the whatever the mom the whatever the soul food mom and pop shop is I, I I keep it I keep it local I keep it to my people. How many ticket requests do you get from family and friends during the course of the season? Uh, about fifty. <laughs> Favorite NBA arena to cover games? Lakers. Lakers. What celeb sitting courtside had you starstruck, Chris? Say that what celebrity sitting courtside having starstruck? Yeah, uh, low key. Re, re, uh, Rihanna. Who? Who is the best dressed dude in the NBA media right now? Me. Oh, talk your shit, man. Name three NBA players who would dominate in any era. MJ, LeBron, Shaq. Ooh, overtime question: Who is the greatest rapper of all time? Chris Haynes. Can I expound on this, please? Yes. This is the last one. Yes. Let me expound because I, I don't want to. I don't want to give it. So I'm a West Coast dude, bro. I'm West Coast. Pac. I lived and died by Pac in high school. I was a sophomore in high school when Pac died, and it was Pac. Bad boy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mess with Bad boy. I wouldn't mess with Biggie. And for years, I'm saying I, I got to give this, you know, a real service. So for years, I was saying Pac was the best. Pac's the best, just his catalog. And I would I would equate Biggie to Bo Jackson. Ooh. I would say, like, how can you be the greatest of all time with only two albums? Yeah, the body of work is... is, is the body of work yeah. is not, not there. Even the catalog is not as versatile as Pac's, right? So I'm, I'm saying this was my mindset. This is my, the, the, uh, the argument I've had probably all the way up until, like, Two or three years ago, I started listening to some of Biggie's stuff. I started listening more. Genius. And I started I started listening more and more. I'm like, this motherfucker was raw. He was tw- like, he was 25 years old, bro. I, I'm like, this motherfucker was raw. Like the lyrics of his wordplay. I'm like, and remember, I wasn't listening to him in the 90s because I was like, I refused to. I'm like, no, nah, man, it's pocket, it's death row. You know what I mean? I love everything about Death Row. Snoop Dogg, Dre, Warren G, Nate Dogg, Corrupt Dash. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was Death Row. I'm being, I'm being real. Like, I was Death Row. I wasn't I wasn't really listening to anything East Coast. Only person I really listened to East Coast was Busta Rhymes, one of my favorite rappers, and The Roots. But yeah. outside of that, I wasn't listening to Jay-Z, Biggie, and all. So three years ago, I started listening to Biggie. I'm like, this mother. I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry, Pop. I gotta put Biggie. <laughs> so Biggie, I'm sorry. So, so Biggie's the all-time. He's your. He's the greatest rapper ever to you. Yeah, man. The wordplay he used, man. The way, like, bro, like, I can't. I gotta give it to him, man. Now that I'm a grown ass man, and you know, I, I ain't got. I'm not using the West Coast bias, you know, anymore. Like, Biggie's the best, bro. There you have it, y'all. Man, appreciate you, Chris Haynes, stopping by the Some Dude Show, man. NBA insider extraordinaire. Good vibes, man. 
We got a, we got a link soon this season, man. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be on the prowl this season, man. I'm gonna be at a lot more games on the West Coast and everywhere else. So we definitely got to meet in real life, bro. Good energy. All right. Thanks for thanks for your time, bro. All good, bro. You be safe. I appreciate you. Yeah. Man, great interview, man. Chris Haynes stopping by the Some Do Show. Keeping it 100 on the Some Do Show. Shout out to Chris Haynes over at Yahoo Sports. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Chris Haynes NBA. Check out the Posted Up podcast with Chris Haynes. Great basketball dialogue. Real basketball dialogue on the Some Do Show. Chris Haynes said <laughs> it took him all these years to finally realize that Notorious Big is a lyrical genius. One of my favorites too, man. But as always, y'all, you know I really appreciate y'all locking in with your boy, man. Every episode, the momentum is is really starting to snowball, and it's all because of y'all, man. I really get motivated from the feedback from all the listeners from all around the world. We got listeners everywhere, man, overseas, all across the U.S., East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, down South, South of France, Italy, Japan, China. They tapping into the Some Do Show, and I really appreciate that. I really do. So make sure you tell somebody, your mother, your father, any real basketball fans to tap in. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all major podcast platforms. Subscribe to the show. And we're going to keep flourishing, man. Real basketball dialogue. Some do show.